Welcome to Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. I'm Ariana Miller, a Filipino American from a small town on the southern border in Texas. I'm Sherilyn Lee, a new American with Chinese Mauritian roots. Together, we wanted to create a safe space where everyone feels welcome to learn more about the AAPI community. We hope that through the personal stories we'll hear, we'll all get a glimpse of the humanity behind the stereotypes, how we have so much in common in some ways and so little in other ways. So a couple things before we get into the conversation with Rahul, I wanted to make sure that we define some terms that we use. I mentioned code switching and code switching is a switch between not just the language, but almost taking on a different persona. When I'm with my family, I'm speaking Taglish. Sometimes I'm only speaking Tagalog. Sometimes I'm only speaking English. For the most part, it's a mix of both. When I speak Tagalog, it's almost like my personality changes. Depending on the space you enter, you sort of adapt. If you're a white person, that's not something that you've dealt with. It's your, you present yourself, who you are, just the way you are, whatever space you enter. Whereas for me, if I'm entering, and I noticed this a lot when I was in college at Baylor, I'd enter these spaces that were predominantly white and I would speak a specific way. I would sound white essentially versus when I'm with my family or with my parents, I carry myself differently. The language I speak is different. And so you're altering yourself a little bit to fit the space that you're entering. And it's done like a survival mode, I guess. You want to be taken seriously and you want people to see who you are rather than your ethnicity. And so you try to meet them where they are. If I can sound as Caucasian and educated and intelligent as possible, then they'll take me seriously and they won't see me as an other or they'll see me as less of an other. For me, it's like removing the barriers between you and the people you're talking to. So if I sound American, then they won't be distracted by my accent and they'll just hopefully right. see me as a peer and an equal. It won't get in the way of the conversation and I won't get the where are you from question, right? Mm -hmm. Because I could speak with a Mauritian accent, but I you know, that would just make my life difficult. Definitely. Lastly, before we get into the conversation with Rahul, I want to point out that for most of the episode, including the intro, I mispronounced his name and he never corrected me. I only found out when he pronounced his own name while talking to us. And I reached out to him afterwards and I said, hey, I'm so sorry I mispronounced your name. I'm happy to re-record the intro and I probably mispronounced your grandfather's name too. So if you want to tell me how to say it. But he said, don't worry about it. I mispronounce Indian names too all the time. And that goes to show that just because we are AAPI doesn't mean that we know more about the other Asian cultures than non-AAPI people. We're all still learning and we all make mistakes. And the main thing is that we make an effort to correct our mistakes, to get to learn the other cultures. And just because I'm a host does not mean that I know more than you do. I'm still learning, obviously. I'll make mistakes. I'm sure I'll make more mistakes in the upcoming episodes and I'll try to own them. Again, Thank you, Rahul, for being such a gracious guest. And without further ado, here is our conversation with Rahul Borkar. Our guest is Rahul Borkar. Born in Louisville, Kentucky, Rahul Borkar is a first-generation Indian-American. His grandfather, Balakrishna Bhagwan Borkar, was a renowned poet from Goa, considered to be a freedom fighter and the poet of the revolution. Wow. Rahul continued the family tradition of art, engaging as a youth in the vibrant punk rock scene of Louisville, using the aggressive music to make his own poetry. 
Raoul is an accomplished songwriter, producer, and multi-instrumentalist, playing drums, guitar, bass, piano, and tabla, which is a traditional Indian drum. He was the primary songwriter for Breckenridge, the first unsigned band to ever be on iTunes. The band not only had a hit on national radio, but their accolades include making the top five on the active rock billboard charts, landing a Budweiser endorsement, a deal by famed Eagles manager Irving Azoff, and multiple offers from major record labels. After Breckenridge, Raul continued to work on his craft. He is currently producing and writing with artists all over the globe, exploring genres spanning from pop, rock, and beyond. He has written with many award-winning songwriters who have had cuts with Kid Rock, The Ramones, Three Doors Down, Leonard Skinner, Tantric, and many others. Raul, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's quite a that's quite a, a resume you've got there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a, the brown Indian guy that's blushing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've definitely broken some glass ceilings there, I would say. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about your culture, your background. Go for it. Well, I was born in America. My dad is a physician. No, he's from India. My mom's from India. They had an arranged marriage. And this year, they'll be married 49 years. Wow. So I'm first generation. I, I want to say American Indian, but then, you know, that's something else sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I was born here. You know, it's pretty awesome having two different cultures, kind of mixing both cultures. I couldn't imagine life not having that, you know, because that's what I know. So it's been a journey. It's been a great one. So what was it like growing up in Louisville? Did you have like a, a pretty good Indian community there or were you the only one? Like, what was that like? Yeah, I was lucky. We had a really tight Indian community. I had a lot of friends growing up. They're Indian that are, like, I consider brothers and sisters now. We all still stay close. We would always call them Indian parties. Every weekend, someone would have dinner, and everyone would get together. And, yeah, that's what we called them. That, I mean, my parents are, like, 70-something, and they still do it every weekend. Someone in the group has people over, and they, they, they live it up. Yeah. So in your bio, you mentioned that your family came from Goa, which I believe had some Portuguese influence, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, when India got its independence from England, there was still this part called Goa. That's extremely beautiful beaches. It's just it's a big tourist area, and um, that was actually colonized by the Portuguese. And so when my dad was growing up, he was Portuguese. And so my grandpa was a poet, and he would start speaking uh, against the government, and you know, for India. And my my dad's family, he's got seven siblings, but they were on the run for about nine years because, you know, the Portuguese wanted to arrest my grandpa. Wow. So yeah, my dad, the doctor that grew up in the poet family. So, yeah, we can, <laughs> we can go on to that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about what it's been like for you being a musician. First of all, what was your parents' reaction when you decided to go for music? Were you always going to do music or did you try something else first i mean in all honesty i remember when i was like five or six years old my mom had a procedure done and i stayed with one of her friends um for a week and the son had a drum kit i remember sitting on the drum kit and just falling in love with it i, I remember having the rhythm and they were all so impressed and i remember playing an excess song when i was like six years old and i think from then on i'd 
always wanted to do music. Like anytime in like music class at school, I was the one that they got picked, you know, for playing the recorder or, you know, being in the school thing. So I, I always had that attraction to it. I'm very thankful and blessed that I had the talent as a young person growing up. Yeah. Was your school pretty mixed where you weren't the only brown guy in music class or did you always feel like you were othered in a way? What was that like? You know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about my childhood growing up since you guys asked me to be on the podcast. And there was one other Indian girl in my class. There was a Korean girl in my class. And I went to a, a Catholic school, so everybody was Catholic and I was Hindu. But I never remembered ever feeling different. I, I guess my parents, when they moved here, I was lucky enough that they also understood that there would be a compromise. You know, they so they tried to instill the, the Indian culture while embracing the American culture. And I, you know, I'm sure not everyone gets that. You know, luckily my family was great with that. But yeah, I never even knew I was different really from anybody else. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I never felt different. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's in the minority of experiences. I think not everybody's lucky enough to feel yeah. like they are accepted by their community. A lot of us felt like we're the one brown person in our class or with the one Asian person and we're just aware that we're not like everybody else around us mm -hmm. so yeah it's yeah that's really cool to hear yeah. that you didn't have to think about that yeah it was, it was great like I said like, I mean I realized like just thinking back like I was very lucky you know because yeah, again like you said not everybody's that lucky and you know some kids can be cruel but I was lucky enough that you know, I had a lot of friends growing up. My parents embraced it. I had my Indian friends and I had my American friends is what we call them. So, and then they had their American friends too. So it was just a big bunch of different circles and, you know, it was a, it was a great childhood. Yeah. That's, cool. That's awesome. Did you feel like you would code switch or is that something that you were conscious of doing? Because you would mention you'd have your Indian friends, your American friends. And I know for my experience, like I would almost switch the way I speak with the people at work, the people at school, especially where I went to college. I went to Baylor, which is very white, very Christian. There's a switch that happens a little bit when you're with people of your own culture and when you're with different people. So I'm curious if you felt like you had to do that much when you were growing up. You know, I didn't because the group of people that we hung around with, like my parents were friends with, mm -hmm. they all kind of thought on the same level. So they, they were all I guess you could say integrated, where it was just one thing. So their experiences were very similar to mine. So, you know, we'd all go to the temple and then, like, we'd go out and play football while we didn't want to be in the temple kind of deal, kind of typical stuff. But, you know, now that you mention it, I didn't realize how big of a subculture being an Indian was until my sister went to college at WashU for undergrad. And I went there, there was a massive, massive Indian population there, and they were very tight. Like, I noticed my other friends when they were going to school, it was the same thing over there. So I guess it wasn't like that where I lived in Louisville, but I do know when there's a bigger population of it, that there is that. It is kind of separate in a way. I have a lot of friends that did end up having like their cliques and they're all Indian, you know. That's great. Did you grow up watching Bollywood and listening to Indian music or were you mostly consuming American media? Mostly American media. I mean, when I was younger, I used to watch stuff with my mom and my dad, but I can understand the language a little bit, but I can't speak it anymore. But when I was a kid, you know, it was a big mixture of it all. And my, my parents still, even to this day, they kind of talk like a mixture, m mainly Indian or, you know, the native language, you know, India has got a lot of languages. But So which language? It's, uh, it's called Kon Konkani is what 
my mom and dad both speak, yeah. So, not Hindi, so I never really... Bollywood was all Hindi movies, so I never understood Hindi at all. So, I never... You know, I needed subtitles like my, my white friend did. <laughs> <laughs> so, even when your parents would watch them, they would be reading the subtitles as well? Or did they understand? Oh, no, no, no. They, they knew all the stuff. They, they knew they know Hindi very well. But, like, mom knows, like, seven languages or something like that. But, yeah. But as far as, like, myself goes, as growing up, I understood it just because that's what they would speak. But... The older I got, the more I don't understand it anymore. But that's how most of my friends are. Like, most of my Indian friends are the same way kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Like, none of them really speak the native language. Yeah, It's kind of the same for me in, in Mauritius. Like, all the Chinese kids my age didn't speak the language. Maybe understand a few words, but not really. Yeah. I think it's common when you're first generation, like, you kind of assimilate a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But even just talking just now, I felt bad when I was saying like I don't know the language. Yeah. I really do feel bad about that. It's kind of funny locally. I know my sister, like she's got kids and she's trying to give them like the Indian culture. So she's actually doing going out of her way now because I think she feels bad too that she kind of got outside of it and she doesn't want them to have no like at least we had something you know my parents didn't sell that so she wants to make sure that you know her her kids at least have something of it you know which is very cool. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's almost, in the people that I know, like my Asian friends who don't know their native language as well, it's, I feel like their experiences where their parents really wanted them to integrate well. And that's the same reason my parents taught me English first, even though English was their second language, was they didn't want me to have trouble with English when I started school. So it's almost like a survival mechanism where our parents would just make sure we knew English before anything else. And then as a result, we just don't learn our native language. And then when you're a kid, you're pursuing the trends and whatever your friends mm -hmm. are into and all your friends are not into Bollywood. So you don't really <laughs> want to have anything to do with it, right? And then when you grow up and you look back and you're like, yeah, you know what? That was kind of cool. And I missed out on that. <laughs> you and I were chatting a little bit and you mentioned that whenever you're filling out a form of any kind and they have the ethnicity choice, <laughs> it's a little complicated why don't you expand on that it, it does because like there's there's the boxes and you know what the boxes are yeah. and like there's there's what it doesn't say indian on it there's one that says asian and it's caucasian <laughs> and then and i'm just and I, I i always i remember being a kid just looking around being like i don't know what to put and this is when i was a kid i'm an adult now and i still don't know what to put <laughs> you know? I don't because I feel like if I put Asian, they're gonna think I'm like you know, not Indian or somewhere yeah. other than, you know Eastern Asia. Um, and yeah, so I never know what to put. And then my parents named me uh, Rahul, at the, and that was after the Prime Minister at the time's um, son. But you know, half the people they they just say Rahul, so half the people think I'm Mexican. <laughs> So <laughs> the, the percentage that actually know I'm Indian is, is kind of, it's funny though. Like, yeah, like the other day I went to the gas station and some guy just started talking to me in Spanish and I was just like, yeah, I took two years of Spanish in high school, but that's about it. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. I always hesitate with those forms as well because usually it will say Asian, but then I feel like I don't fully identify as Asian because I grew up in Africa thinking I'm an Asian and then I moved here and I was like, well, that, that was not the same thing as the other Asians. <laughs> and now I'm kind of African, but African-American just is not what I am, you know? So like, that's a whole other thing that I can't put. And for you too, like they probably have, you know, Indian. And I, I, it always frustrates me when I see 
Indian American, like meaning Native American. Yeah. <laughs> like the dude was wrong. It was not India. We figured that a long time ago. Yeah. Why are we still calling them Indian? Like it, it's just so weird. Yeah. I feel like lately I'm just not feeling these big boxes because there's so much more nuance. Like both of your stories, I just feel like they don't really represent the whole person. So I just, I feel like they're a Western colonialist construct. <laughs> you know, one interesting thing I learned from my husband, who's of Italian heritage, is that when he was growing up, he's a boomer. So when he was growing up, uh, he grew up in a Polish neighborhood. So everybody, all the other kids were blonde, blue eyed, and they were the Italian family with the black hair. <laughs> and they were othered for being Italian. And he never considered himself white until someday he had to fill out one of those forms. <laughs> and he realized that his ethnicity was not on that form anymore. He was like, well, I guess I'm Caucasian. Then. <laughs> like, that's good to me, but I guess that's what I'm picking now. <laughs> And, you know, there is this trend where more and more groups are being lumped into the white category, hence keeping the white majority. <laughs> um, because if you think about it earlier, you know, a whole bunch of other white people were discriminated against, you know, the Irish, the Italians, the Jews, and then slowly they all became accepted as part of white people. <laughs> and I feel like East Asians are on the brink of being put into that as well. <laughs> I had been seeing and reading some things about how Asians were going to start to be considered white on like consensus forms. And it's interesting too, because I feel like, like when you talk about your husband and how he was discriminated against, but we still don't really get, where's the white privilege if East Asians are considered white? There's still hate crimes and there's still targets of racial slurs and things like that. The concept of whiteness too. If somebody's half white and half Asian or half black or Latino, like they are considered black or asian or latino versus like the idea of whiteness is almost rooted in this idea of purity and so if you're mixed with something else you're like no longer really white it kind of erases all the nuances of, of different cultures yes yeah. i think a lot of it is political too you know because mm -hmm. if you think about it there's so many ethnic groups in white people that yeah we don't really talk about it it used to be that the the polish had their own little subculture and the italians mm -hmm. had their little subculture yeah. And now you don't really see that as much. Like it's been erased and that's, I guess, the cost of assimilation. And just like, you know, you were saying that you were mostly doing what the other kids were doing and not really paying attention to necessarily what was Indian versus American. It was just all, you know, right. whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a slow process. Like you don't, you don't notice it until it's already happened, I think. Okay, you have obviously a very long resume. So why don't we talk a little bit about your your career, your music, and what it's been like for you? You have sure. a lot of fun stuff. So uh, first I'll start off with saying I have the most supportive family in the world. But at the same time, my dad's a physician. It's not typical. Like, I've got tattoos. I'm definitely uh, not the typical Indian guy. So, you know, I think with the Indian culture, and I'm sure it is with a lot of cultures, but for sure my parents see their job as to make sure that their kids are doing well enough to take care of their kids. And so with my dad, his father was a poet. 
And just like any art form, you don't make a lot of money doing it. So my dad grew up poor, like very poor. You know, again, there's seven siblings, they were on the run, so they had that. So my dad knows what it's like to be a kid of an artist. And half of their fear was if I had kids, you know, if they were going to end up living on the same way my dad did. So like my dad was always extremely proud, but at the same time fearful because again, he embraced it because I reminded him of his dad, but at the same time, it reminded him of what being a child was to an artist. So I felt for him in that sense, but you know, they always supported me. For instance, when I started playing the Indian instrument, my dad actually flew someone from India that stayed with us for a year and intensively taught me how to play the tabla because like my dad saw how quickly I picked it up in two weeks and then... The guy that came in, he said the same thing. So he stayed with us for about a year. And every day, just practiced for three hours a day. You know. But that's again, awesome. that wasn't something my dad pushed on me. He just saw that I was interested in it and asked me if that's something I wanted to, to, so to cool. happen. So yeah, so that was that was real cool. You know, my mom, she's been extremely supportive to you. I got a drum kit when I was 13 and a guitar when I was 12. I'm sure they regret the drums. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but you know, they've also seen that's heart doesn't always win they've mm-hmm. seen the hardships of it too so you know they've they've been through the journey just as much as i have i'll, I'll leave it at that and I, but i am blessed to have their support and encouragement and yeah yeah that's awesome that's definitely nice to hear you know mm-hmm. the, the stereotypical story you hear is that asian parents don't want their kids to get into the art and it is for the reason you're saying about your dad worrying that your kids would grow up in poverty and it's a valid fear but It's great to hear that they were able to overcome that and still be supportive of your art. Yeah. The art in India is just gorgeous. I mean, it's got so much history in the art world that it's weird how it became this trend to become a doctor, engineer, or computer science guy. (laughs) And the art part got left in the dust. It it is kind of strange in that sense because I'm just like, well, hey, wait a second. And (laughs) all this is from India and all this beauty is from India. so many people don't support it, but acknowledge the beauty, but don't want to be part of the beauty sometimes. <laughs> it's weird. It's it's a it was a, it's a weird uh, balance, I think. But I am proud that I get to art alive, and you know, to me, it was never a choice to be a musician. It was just something that I was. Yeah. You know? So, are you finding that now that you're older and you have a new appreciation for the Indian art, are you trying to incorporate that in your work? I do. I've got so many different influences. I do intentionally sometimes bring in the Eastern Western thing, but more so I've always been a rock guy. I was the guy that third grade that was listening to Guns N' Roses. You know, I remember my mom, I don't think she realized what the lyrics were. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that parental advisory thing, she didn't know until my sister told her one day. (laughs) And then I got in trouble, but yeah, I was just always, always in the rock music. But I do love breaking that cycle sometimes and doing some other stuff as well. So we want to talk a little bit about what it was like for you to be the Indian rocker guy. You know, what is what is it like to be in a genre that's predominantly white male? And I know you've had great mentors, you've had great allies. So tell us more about what that was like. Okay, so my first actual band I was a drummer for, my best friend was a guitar player. And he was Indian. And then our bass player was Indian and our singer was white. <laughs> I felt bad for the white guy in that, <laughs> in that sense. But I mean, 
I guess it was because I was young. There weren't a whole lot of drummers in town either in the rock world. So I was always the young kid hanging out with the older guys because of that. That was in my benefit too. I never got picked on or singled out for being, you know, for being short or Indian. <laughs> I, got, I got more short jokes than Indian jokes. I'll say that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was, again, I've, I've been so blessed in so many ways by great people, but I was just that guy playing drums with older bands. And then when I started, got my first band that kind of made an impact on the music scene. I'm a good writer, but I think my biggest thing has been networking and not networking in the sense where I purposely went out and network. You know, we opened a lot of shows for a lot of big artists and I just became friends with a lot of them. Like after the shows, just hanging out. And you play a couple of shows, like bands like Shinedown, became friends with them. And I became friends with a lot of people kind of away from music. So we had that relationship and then they liked my writing as well. So it made sense because anytime you work with anybody for it to be successful, personality, like meshing with someone else is more important sometimes than the actual talent involved. And I've been blessed that, you know, I've, <laughs> there's been a whole lot of talent involved with a lot of people that I've worked with. That's great. And a little bit ago, we were talking about, you know, credits that you had and you want to talk a little bit about that sure my most recent project was to start off as a conversation with my buddy uh, kenny olsen he started kid rock with bob kid rock and uncle cracker so they did really well and then kenny became legendary in his own sounds like playing with metallica aerosmith run dmc cheryl crow all those guys and for some reason 10 years ago he met in a different project when i was working with the singer Kendrick. And he liked the way I wrote. And then, so I guess a year before we started this recent project was, I actually asked him to play guitar on one of my songs. So he came to Nashville, we tracked uh, two songs. And I never even thought about it just because he's such a big guy in the, in the industry that he was like, he actually asked me, he goes, what do, you, what do you think about me producing some of your stuff? And I was just like, wow, okay. And collectively, we had mutual friends. So like Greg Upchurch from Theodore's Down, Jason Todd from Shine Down. And then he introduced me to Peter Keys from Leonard Skinner. So, and then Josh Paul was, you know, good friends with the Three Doors Down guys from, you know, he's from Daughtry and Suicidal Tendencies. And it just kind of all came together pretty easily. And again, it meshed very well. And, you know, I still have to pinch myself a lot of times because I was in a project with those guys and, you know, I'm a fan of them. So for me to actually be in a project where they were my peers in it is pretty amazing feeling. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you ever feel like the proximity to those people was necessary for you to be taken seriously? Yeah, I think in the competitive market for anybody, people look at credits and that kind of stuff and they look for people to vouch for you. I do want to touch base about something that you brought up. Like, remember when I was asking, should I put the testimonials up? And you said something that kind of hit hard. You said, it, it won't hurt because you're not the right person. So it's kind of good to have white people <laughs> saying that you're good at what you do. And, and I have noticed that, like, I didn't think about it then, but I was like, yeah, I kind of do have to go out of my way to make get credibility being an Indian guy. Yeah. Or pop or hip hop or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I... I did wonder about that because it seems like you have had quite a few white allies who have been very supportive of you, which, mm -hmm. which is great and which seems pretty rare. So I did wonder if you ever felt that or not. I never did as an artist because I've never promoted myself as like the business world of it. I always had someone else doing it for me. So I never had to be like, all right, how am I going to get clients? Because that was never my thing. I just made the music and then that was it. So now it's a little bit different. So I had that, and, and I'm grateful for it because I do think when someone looks at someone as a producer, there's so much psychology involved with the business side of the industry. Like, 
if you don't look the role, then subconsciously they don't really mind. I think you're good enough for the role kind of deal. So I don't think I would get the work I'm getting now if it weren't necessarily for those credits that I have with these guys. Do you feel like it is more important because you're Indian or do you think it would have been equally important if you were white? I definitely think it's more important um, that I'm Indian because I can't think of any Indian producers in the rock world. I mean, the hip-hop world, kind of the same thing, and pop world is just not a norm. Again, I don't think anybody intends it, but I think it's just subconsciously, if you're not used to something, it kind of catches your brain off guard. So I do believe, like, if it weren't for Google, like, in my name, these people type in it, like, I don't think, I would have to go out of my way to convince people that I'm worthy to, you know, as an asset to them. And while you were touring with those bands and you've been interacting, obviously, with a lot of people, established people in the rock world, did you ever have experiences where they said something that was kind of racist, but, you know, maybe you, oh, weren't, God, yeah. you weren't, yeah. like, gonna... So tell us about that, because I think a lot of it is they don't even know that it's racist. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll just say one thing, like, that, and, you know, and we, we don't have to go into it because there could be 10 different shows about this. But after 9-11, things were a lot different for the Sub-Asian people. It was unfortunate. So, I mean, there were comments made, I, drunken comments that I just had to shrug off. So, yeah, so that kind of sucked for the important reason of that it happened. And a lot of racism came back from that. But luckily, again, I had a lot of people that supported me. So it was kind of hard for someone to be racist against someone that had all that support, I think. Or to be vocal about it. So maybe a lot of people weren't as vocal as they would have been if I hadn't had the support that I did. But yeah, I mean, annoying things. Like, every single person in the world thinks they invented the dots not feather joke. <laughs> you know? They, they all said to me, and, and I'm just like, okay, all right, cool. And then when Harold and Kumar came out, that was kind of annoying. I mean, I can laugh it off now just because the way I have to look at it is just like, you're so ignorant that I feel bad for you. But I've kind of known about comments towards other people more so and I feel bad at the same time about that I, I don't get them because I feel lucky and I feel like they don't deserve it any more than I do so the fact that I didn't get a lot of the, the grunt of it while other people did you know is I was I felt very bad for a lot of people a lot of people you know and I still do you know as I mean Unfortunately, racism and ignorance is something that's always going to be there because I think it's a lot easier to hate what you don't know yeah. than, it, than it is to take the time to learn about something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's why we wanted to do the, this podcast, you know, because a lot, of, a lot of people just don't have the exposure to people from different ethnicities. If they live somewhere where everybody looks the same, then... All they know about us is what they see on TV and, you know, if all they've seen is Harold and Kumar, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, but like Louisville is its own entity of Kentucky. It's not typical, but 45 miles south, an hour south, it is typical. It's a whole different world. So again, I'm lucky for where I am and it could have been a lot different. My life could have been a lot different if, were, if I was somewhere else or, you know, even just an hour away from where I am now. Do you often go outside of Louisville and what is that like do you feel like you're worried about your safety I kind of know where, where yeah I mean I more so worried about being in environments where they don't know I'm a musician back in the day if I would go to a bar where it was like I said an hour away or something when we we're in different cities 
Yeah, I mean, I was worried. Oh, gosh, I can't believe I didn't even say this. But when we were about 12 years ago, we were recording a record in a place called Portersville, Missouri. Our producer, Malcolm Springer, was from there. So Portersville is like population... I mean, just think of bumfuck. Sorry, part of my language, but it is. It, it was not very diverse to say. There was one bar restaurant, and we would go there. And right by the bathroom was this long printout sign that says, "If you're not from America, don't know the language." Blah 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 blah. And I was like, "Oh my God, where the hell am I?" And, and I, that was the one time I was worried about like getting beat up. You know, pretty much every time I went down there. So. Um, not so much here, but yeah, outside of my comfort zone. And again, I have been pretty pampered by comfort of being around people that are awesome. But yeah, I mean, it, it can get uncomfortable at other places sometimes. Yeah. When I first moved to the U.S., it was in 2013. And I just assumed that it was like Canada. And I was so wrong. But it was only after 2016 that I started to understand how different certain areas were. And I started to feel unsafe in certain areas. Before that, I just assumed that everywhere was like Toronto, Canada. You know, <laughs> people were very progressive and people have seen different people from all over the world everywhere. I was so wrong. <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, slowly I've been, I've been understanding that that's not the case. And, and it's weird, you know, it's weird to know that you're entering a space and you don't know if you should be feeling worried about your own safety. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for a lot of these people right now after COVID hate crime rate just rose significantly. And, um, you know, again, it's just, I don't know if it's ignorance, people just need something to hate or, or what, but it's, un it's unacceptable. And I hope there's shows like this and, you know, just more and more stuff happens that well, people will actually just listen to something or yeah. you know, take the time to understand, you know, kind of things. Yeah, that's the hope. There's always going to be people who are reluctant to learn anything and listen to anything. But we're hoping that this show will reach the people who do want to do better mm -hmm. and maybe just haven't had the opportunity to hear our stories and realize that, hey, actually, we're an average American just with, you know, some different cultural background. We speak English, contrary to popular opinions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think in representation in media, when it comes to characters of Asian heritage, like BIPOC characters, their ethnicity is their entire identity. And so it's also important for us to show like, yes, we're proud of our cultural background, but that's not our entire personality. And there's other facets of ourselves too. I think people tend to view us as one-sided caricatures or they don't view us as like complex human beings with different interests and thoughts. So yeah, I, I hope that that starts to change too. Yeah, for sure. So if there's another little Indian rocker out there listening and wants to have a career path like you did, what is the advice that you would give him or her or they? I'll say this. If you do have insecurities about it, you got to drop the guard. And then there are crappy people out there, but you won't find the good ones unless you drop your guard. So if, if you, whatever it's music or anything, if there's something you want to do, don't not do it because you're afraid of, you know, what people look or see when they look at you or anything that for that matters. So basically just be confident, be humble, be open because you want them to be open too. So communicate, communicate. Bottom line is be a good person. And again, if you want to be a musician, be a musician. 
that that's it's as simple as that you know be one what would you say to their parents aunties and uncles wow um Again, I think this is a universal thing for any parent. Just embrace your children and embrace what they love. Just, again, just for any parent. It's just such a hard thing because I'm not one. So it's so hard for me to, to say it. But, you know, I've been in, in the spot where I do worry about my parents. And basically every fear that the parent might have, I'm sure the child has the same fears. So it's like talk about those fears together and figure it out together. So helping the child work through those and find solutions rather than just emphasizing the fear and not helping them navigate. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. You said it much better than I did, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get people asking you about your background and how does that usually go? I get questions all the time about like, how did you get into music kind of deal? You know, I'll get questions about like, do you play Indian instruments kind of stuff like that? But I've never really got, oh, I mean, I guess I have like, what do your parents think? I get that a lot from Indian people, actually. What do your parents think? That's probably the, the number one question I would get from a national Indian person. Because I think they've gone through their own issues where they're scared about whether their parents would support them if they had branched out from maybe they path that they're on so yeah i think basically people when they ask about me again it might be me being naive but like i just uh, think they're just asking me something they'd ask somebody else or or maybe i've just trained myself to think like that but yeah i mean i I just hope that they're asking just like they would they would ask the guy next to me or the girl next to me that's cool all right well we have some rapid fire questions to end the show and these are very simple one word or one sentence answer no need for explanations And then after that, we'll let people know how they can get in touch with you if they want to work with you or if they want to just hang out because you're a cool dude. So, Ari, do you want to do the questions? Sure. Yeah. So the first one is, what was the first language you learned? English. I feel like we get that one a lot from Asian Americans. Um, (laughs) Hey, we're Americans. I know, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) A? I, I hope you find a theme in there. Let's pull the Kentucky just now and said American. <laughs> yeah, I get I speak, the... I speak American. I speak American. <laughs> I still have the y'all. The y'all slips out sometimes and I'm really... All right. So what language do you speak with your parents? English. Okay. Yeah. What is a stereotype about your culture that is actually true for you? I would love to say that I'm a good speller, but I'm not. I know. Oh, wow. Um... I don't know. <laughs> Those stereotypes apply to her. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I told you in the back seat. Okay, here's a stereotype. I, my parents freaked out when I had tattoos. So I think that's a good stereotype to have if you're Indian. Parents will freak out if you have tattoos. Yeah, I think I think ours would too. My my dad says he'll erase them. <laughs> if I ever Or my mom. I don't think my dad cares, but my mom would. Okay. What is a stereotype about your culture that is not true or does not apply to you? I did not become a doctor. (laughs) 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 That's that. Yeah. Since I was a little kid, my mom was like, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Same. All right. And then the last one is what is an Asian food that you'll never get tired of? Okay. So don't buy my head off for this one. I actually don't like Indian food a whole lot. Only in my, in doses, like once a month. But my favorite food on the planet is Indo-Chinese. It's like a mixture of like Indian food, Nepal, and then like typical Asian food. And it's all just like together. It's so good. So good. That 
That is awesome. So what would be like your favorite that you would recommend people try? Yeah. I mean, the typical chicken tikka masala is fantastic, but if you were lucky enough to have my mom's food, she makes a dish called chicken biryani, and all my friends and all my sister's friends, they love it. I love it. I make chicken biryani, and it's a it's huge hit. Yeah. <laughs> my in-laws who have tried it are raving about it. So. Yeah. I agree with you. This thing yeah, is really good. <laughs> people are missing out if they haven't yeah, had it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get yelled at by my friends. They're like, what do you mean? Well, before we end the episode, I want to let people know where they can reach you if they want to work with you. Raul is a great producer and yeah, he's a cool guy. So reach out to him. Where, where can we find you? Actually, just my name is Rahul. So R-A-H-U-L, Borkar, B-O-R-K-A-R.com. There's Borkar Music, B-O-R-K-A-R Music, Breckenridge with an I, Louisville Music, Rahul, you know, it'll, it'll pop up. But yeah, if you ever want to reach out to me, go ahead and do so. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show today. And we hope you had a great time. We had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. And thank you guys for uh, doing this sort of thing. It's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Rahul Borkar. We certainly learned a lot and his story really challenged some of the stereotypes that even we had before. So here are our takeaways. You have to be willing to let your guard down if you want to find good people. The second is not all Asian parents are strict and discourage their kids from pursuing a creative lifestyle. Rahul's parents always supported his creative endeavors 100%. Three, not all Asians know about the other Asian cultures. Sherry mispronounced Rahul's name for the first half of the conversation, and we all have much to learn about each other, and the key thing is to try. Number four, most AAPI parents are doing their best to integrate their kids into American society, and most of them speak English at home. This often does come at the cost of AAPI kids not learning their native languages and then feeling disconnected from their culture later in life. And the fifth one is there are thriving AAPI communities, not just in the big cities, but also in small towns like Louisville, Kentucky. That's all we've got for today. We hope you'll join us next week for another nuanced conversation. Mm -hmm.